0: Hello, everybody. You're listening to season three, episode five of the Attempt Adventure podcast, a podcast all about travel, finding adventure every day, and seeking out adventurous ways to make life a little more interesting. From Dallas, Texas, I'm your host, James Barrett, joined as always by my co host,
1: Michael DeRogers in China Spring, Texas. Not as always, but as always, your <laughs> co host.
0: <laughs> Today, we have a great interview for you guys, Mike Keen, Adventure Chef. Mm -hmm. and prolific kayaker and just all around awesome dude what
1: a cool guy yeah i am super excited about this one i mean what a cool guy james there's a few things in this world that i really love uh i love food i love Mm -hmm. adventure and i really like kayaking i mean i'm not gonna say i'm a prolific kayaker i've i've kayaked
0: (laughs) (laughs) i have been in a kayak (laughs) we'll get into that in just a few minutes everybody
1: I need to interrupt before that, James, because uh, we actually have some administrative things we have to do. (laughs) We have somebody bought us a beer, James, and I've got one right here for us. Uh, It is Speckle, my uh, nephew, I guess. My brother's cat. So, um, you know, do the math on that one. (laughs) But Speckle, the cat, this one's for you. Have you had this one, James? This is an Upside Down from Martin House.
0: I have not.
1: Okay, it is a lactose sour with pineapples, cherries, and cake flavoring. So it's a pineapple upside down cake flavored sour. So,
0: hmm. well, you have that. I have a water.
1: <laughs> you're much healthier than I am. Here we go. It's it's nine o'clock at night. It's not like I'm usually usually when recording. It's like seven in the morning. I'm like, well, I guess I got to drink a beer. Uh, it's <laughs> not like that. This is actually now it's, it's an appropriate time. Here we go. I just don't have any. There we go. It's very sour. I will. It is. It is very sour, but it's good. I recommend it. You might like it. Cheers. It's got a strange flavor. This water. is,
0: but Yeah, time. Martin House, Great Brewery, weird flavors. Weird flavors, but I like them. <laughs> Almost all of them. Thank you, Speckle the Cat.
1: That's, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And if anyone else wants to either buy us a beer or be a, you know, a monthly supporter on our Kofi page, you can do that. If you just love the show, you can throw us, I mean, a dollar a month, or you can buy us a beer for, you know, whatever you want. Make a little donation and we'll have a beer. We'll shout you out on the show.
0: Yeah, and it, it goes a long way. It does. Any, any any little bit of support goes a long way to helping us make this better.
1: Yes. I mean, you guys may have noticed our new logo that's gone up in the last week. That's all thanks to you guys, our, our supporters, those of you who have donated. Mm-hmm. So uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, we're using old equipment, but it works. Like I don't feel the need to really update this ancient microphone i'm using Nah, it works we've been using the same microphone since 2019 since the early days of day drinking with michael and
0: james yeah and we recorded our first episode without microphones at all and it was awful terrible we didn't even have just a topic terrible no we just <laughs> nah. anything if you are able and you want to donate it helps a lot no we pressure. really appreciate it. No, no pressure. pressure at all.
1: Uh, We've kind of restructured it. We don't have any special tiers. I mean, there's no bonus content or anything right now. It's just if you like the show and you want to support us. That's literally it. There's no pressure. You don't have to. We do this because we enjoy it. But if you do like the show, I mean, yeah, buy us a beer. <laughs>
0: Please. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Michael, have you done yes, anything new or adventurous in this past week or since the we last talked,
1: <laughs> I certainly have, James, um, since we last talked. I, yeah, I took a road trip last week. My wife is in town and uh, we're both in the States now. We took a road trip up to Arkansas, drove up through Texarkana, uh, spent the first night in Hot Springs, which is a great town, neat little national park. It's one of the smaller national parks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very small, but it's really fun. I don't know. When was the last time you've been over there? Have you been? I've never been. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's great because you can tour these historic bathhouses. Which were, you know, in the day where people would come for any number of illnesses uh, from all around the country to convalesce. It's really interesting. Um, And they have fountains all throughout the town where you can, you know, drink the mineral water. So we had our big Bucky's tumblers. We filled them up with mineral water on the way out of town. uh, Drank it. It's really good. It tastes great. I mean, it's really, really good water. And let me tell you something, James. uh, I love water. I don't get those people that are like, I don't like water. How can you not like water? You're like a being. I mean, <laughs> you're a mammal, but uh, as water goes, the water in hot springs is really good. Is it? It's a cool little town. Yeah. Then we drove up through the mountains and up through the Ozarks to the very northwest tip of Arkansas. Like I, I'm talking like we were right on the border, real close to like Branson up there uh, to Eureka Springs, another cool, funky little town, very neat little artsy town up in the mountains there. Driving in Arkansas is terrible. The roads, even the highways are extremely narrow and like they're mountains. It's mountains. Like you just are twisting and winding for hours. You know, you see these signs that are like warning, very, you know, very winding, very steep next <laughs> 32 miles or something. It's just awful, but it's beautiful. It's a very sort of a remote place. Arkansas, mm-hmm. very rural um, up in the mountains there. Eureka Springs is neat. It, it's all, like a hillside town. It's very hard to find a parking spot because everything is extremely steep. You kind of just have to park and then take the town trolley, which is a lot of fun. So we took the tra- town trolley. We went to go see the uh, Christ of the Ozarks, which is kind of like Cristo Redentor, but, you know, not not
0: as impressive. Arkansas. <laughs> <is so laughs> yeah. Rio um, uh,
1: Yeah, but uh, we had some amazing food, some good Arkansas catfish, great diner downtown for breakfast. Uh, and then we drove back, drove back and uh, spent the last night in Texarkana which was a little bit more driving than I had really intended because again you you have to go really slow on these winding roads like I'm talking like you're going like 30 40 miles an hour because mm-hmm. it's so steep and so winding up in the Ozark mountains so the distances didn't look very far but it was really long, you know slow going but that last night we stayed in Texarkana and uh, took a picture at the uh, second most photographed Post office in the country, after the old post office in D.C., which is cool because it's on the state line. It has, like, a line that goes through it. Then we drove over to, I think I'm saying it right because I asked when we were there, Fouke, F-O-U-K-E, Falk, I believe, which is, like, 15 miles outside of Texarkana in Arkansas, home to the Boggy Creek Monster. It is the Arkansas Bigfoot. So uh, we went to the museum there at this little gas station slash mini mart slash museum, And I bought a mug with Bigfoot on it. And uh, yeah, so apparently uh, Bigfoot haunts the woods of Arkansas, which I'll tell you, like when you're driving through there at night, you kind of can, you know, you can believe it. (laughs) You can believe
0: it. Fun fact about the mountain range over there, because that's the Ozark Mountain is is it part of the Appalachian chain.
1: It's a little bit far west, I think, isn't it? Because Arkansas is just north of Texas. But double check that. Fact check me, James. I'm, I'm not sure.
0: Yes, they are.
1: Are they? Okay. Wow.
0: So, the Appalachian mountain range. It is the same mountain range as the Scottish Highlands. Interesting. Two, it is older than the first land mammal. That's old. They are older than trees. (laughs) So when John Denver said, life is old there, older than the trees.
1: Oh, that's what he meant.
0: Maybe, I don't know. And coincidentally, older than John Denver, too. Well, (laughs) very much so. I believe they're the oldest mountain range on Earth.
1: You know, I think I've heard that. And you know, James, when you're out there at night, you know, we, were in, we were in Eureka Springs, and we were at this cool little hotel lodge uh, with a balcony overlooking just the woods, like mm-hmm. the deep woods, you know? And even there, kind of in the town, you're like, you know, I can see how people... I'm not I'm not saying they saw Bigfoot, but I can understand how, if you're out in the woods alone at night in those dark, ancient woods, how you might think that you saw Oh, yeah,
0: something. yeah, yeah. No, they are... They're creepy, and they're it's. If you're out there at night, it's it's almost like oppressive. Yeah, it's dark in a weird way. It's it's dark and it's old. Driving through there, I was like,
1: oh, I'm uncomfortable. Like I had, yeah, I was uncomfortable driving through there. Not like because of the roads. I mean, that was creepy. It's in, just, in a, different it's just way. a
0: weird feeling out there. It
1: was, and it's very hard to put into words. We had an episode about this. If you guys go back yeah. and listen to our Halloween 2020 episode,
0: it's beautiful though. Highly recommend. Yes.
1: So that's what I did, James. That's what that's what I did. Awesome.
0: Well, that sounds fun.
1: Yeah. What about you? What have you been up to?
0: Michael, you know, my hunt for specific ingredients is often in vain.
1: Yes. Now, you like to cook. I know this. You like to cook, and you like to experiment, and you like to try to find, like Mm -hmm. you say, specific ingredients to facilitate that.
0: Yes. Two of the things that I had the hardest time finding, one of which, still in the hunt for, pandan. Um... If anyone knows, anybody out there in the States knows where I can get it, let me know. But the other one is just Thai basil, holy basil. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I finally found it.
1: Uh, Yeah, you sent me a picture and you were so
0: excited. finally found it. (laughs) So instead of just trying to make, I actually didn't make anything with the bundle, with the bunch I bought. Mm -hmm. What I did was I took it, I took cuttings from it and I am rooting them right now and I'm going to plant my own and I will never run out again. Awesome. I've never planted anything before. Yeah. So well, we'll see how this goes. That's but. certainly
1: an adventure. That's really cool. I was so excited when you sent me that picture. <laughs> I've been searching here too. Like We've been looking.
0: I still need that um, basil chicken recipe.
1: Okay. Yes. I will send that over to you. Absolutely.
0: But yeah. So not as exciting as a vacation, which I'm going on vacation in three days.
1: Well, we'll talk about that next episode. Hopefully you'll have some good stuff to, to talk about. That. Oh, yeah.
0: But yeah, so I'm growing holy basil.
1: Nice. And that actually ties in really well with the theme of today's episode of cooking Mm -hmm. and like sort of homesteading. Yeah. Hey, and speaking of homesteading, James, you and I went to a homestead last week. Oh, we
0: did. That's also something new. (laughs) I
1: forgot about that. James came down. James and his wife came down and met me and my wife here. But it was not the best day to be in China Spring. So China Spring is about a three-minute drive from Waco Regional Airport. And if you follow the news, there was an unsavory character at Waco Regional Airport, holding a political rally on the 30th anniversary of the Branch Davidian thing.
0: And it became a wretched hive of scum. It was
1: indeed. There were more flags of abhorrent slogans than I've ever seen in my life. We wanted to get out of town. So James came and rescued us and pulled us away from this tiny little town, which uh, does not deserve the likes of him. And so we were like, let's get out of Waco. So that's that's where our story begins.
0: Yeah, and... So why don't you explain what um, Heritage Homestead is real quick? Because you can explain it better than I can.
1: Heritage Homestead is a homestead and working farm in the Anabaptist tradition. And it's it's open to people of all of all faiths and all beliefs or whatever. Uh, but they have a, you know, it's a working farm. They grow vegetables. They have crops. They have little, like, local shops. Yeah. They have, a, like, a blacksmith. And they have, like, a, a mill where they make flour. Like a real water mill where they grind up wheat and make it into flour. They have a, a cheese cave. <laughs> it's just all sorts of stuff. Like they make jam and, and they yeah, like have a lot, wood, of, like, lot of great stuff. Woodworking where they make like rocking chairs. Like it's a farm. It's kind of like an old fashioned farm. And these families live out there. They, they mm-hmm. have a homestead out there.
0: Yeah. And so we decided to do that when you, when it was more something like, well, we need something to do.
1: That's not in Waco.
0: But I actually really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's one of those things where you where you like you go to it and you're like eh you will see you know but then you're like oh this is really nice actually so yeah highly recommend shout out to Heritage Homestead have you ever would you ever consider homesteading
1: um, you know we've kind of pink and I've talked about this we've been talking a little bit about not full time but mm. buying some land up in uh, you know a couple hours outside of Bangkok and having a little bit of a mini farm or, or homestead just a place to get away from the city. Um, it's it's nowhere in the near future by any means but it's something that we've talked about I think it'd be fun having some free range chickens maybe and growing some veggies I don't know what what about you
0: same kind of thing again it's one of those things where like the ideal of it is better than for me the reality would be you know I unfortunately am very attached to my conveniences and that's a that's a its own issue we're not gonna get into <laughs> um we're not gonna break down my. Mental barriers I'm gonna today. To psychoanalyze, yeah, <laughs> James. Today, <laughs> tune in next week. Huh. <laughs> where, <laughs> but uh, you know, I I think I would like something in the middle, something where I can have an area to grow grow some food or have some chickens or do something like that, but not. I don't want to run a farm. Yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want to run a commercial farm by any Definitely means. Definitely not. But, like, if I could grow some vegetables and or some fruit trees or have some chickens or a couple goats or something like that, like, that, that would be really nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. A
0: nice piece of land.
1: There's something about that, isn't that? Like, producing mm-hmm. something that you can consume yourself.
0: Well, it's just something I think of just doing. Yeah. Something, it's very, I'm trying to think of a good word that doesn't sound stupid. It's very, like.
1: Hands-on? Uh, like. Yeah. Natu- like, you can. Natural, I mean.
0: It's a. It's a way of living that was everyone's way of living for thousands of years. It was That's how people lived. The urban living that we do today over the course of human history is very, very recent.
1: Last like 300 years, maybe. Yeah. And, that's, <laughs>
0: yeah. and in America, even less.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're talking like 100 years, if that. Yeah.
0: There was a time not that long ago where everyone had their own little farm and everyone grew food and or small communities got together and did it or whatever, but- So there's something very, it's a way of living that's, I don't know. I think people are weirdly kind of meant to do that.
1: Yeah. I don't, I know that sounds
0: kind of like kitschy and weird, but it's like, yeah, humans want to do that kind of thing. Like, Like you get a lot of satisfaction from doing stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Why are farming sim games so popular?
0: It's, it's peace. Like, yeah, but we can talk about that in another episode. That'd be good.
1: Sure.
0: (laughs) Why is Farming Simulator (laughs) popular? I can't get into it, but I tried.
1: No, I think you're right, and I think think that's a really good point, and um, I agree with you on that. I I think there is something about that that I find really appealing.
0: I think it's more kind of not being in the hustle and bustle of everything. It's kind of a, a way to sustain yourself without needing other people.
1: And you're staying busy but you're actually being productive. You're not just earning mm-hmm. money, which ultimately is something intangible, right? You're being productive, but you're making something, like truly productive in the most literal sense of it.
0: Especially if you like, you know, I'm building my house or building, you know, these you you're actually you have a tangible like you said, yeah, tangible results with your of your work. So yeah, I think that's it's very satisfying.
1: Yes. Yes. And even just visiting there when we went and spent the day out there, it was it was just relaxing. It was nice. It's just nice.
0: And it's nice to see people that live that way by choice and not by, you know, some necessity or some whatever, but, you know, which, yeah, that does kind of lead us pretty good right into the interview. (laughs) It does. Right. Well, without further ado, I guess, ladies and gentlemen, let's have a
1: listen to the interview segment. This is Mike Keen. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did.
2: Hello, uh, my name is Mike Keane. I'm based in the east of England in a county called Suffolk, which is uh, right on the North Sea. So good for kayaking. I guess I'm a, a chef adventurer. I do, um, I do a lot of kayaking, actually, and yeah, cooking on the beach, wild foraging, cooking over fire, fermentation. That kind of stuff. So very much eating from your environment, not relying on the global food system, trying to go, uh, I wouldn't class myself as a prepper or anything like that, but I, uh, I'm, I'm very much into trying to live without all the modern conveniences that um, seem so great, but actually looking beneath the surface contribute a lot of damage to the environment.
1: So what does adventure mean to you and how did you get started adventuring?
2: Yeah, adventuring. Um, I've, I've lived abroad most of my life. Uh, I've been a chef uh, most of the time or in hospitality. So I've, I've travelled and worked abroad in loads of different circumstances. And I, I guess the older I get and the, the, yeah, the more long in the tooth, the more... Kind of extreme or more difficult circumstances. I kind of, I, I kind of get a buzz off those. It's um, I, I don't think it's chasing a buzz is why I do it, but it's uh, getting that experience. You know, as a kid, I, I grew up in Nigeria and Saudi Arabia, and, and you really notice the difference when you come back to the UK or somewhere in in the West. Uh, the difference between your experiences and and how you perceive the world to people who have just been perhaps a little bit more insular. And I I, I think getting out there, putting yourself into kind of conditions or situations that aren't in your comfort zone or make you a little bit uncomfortable Uh, as long as it's not dangerous or intentionally dangerous then then i think it's all good character building and i definitely think it's something that kids of today really need to be exposed to more rather than just sitting in their little bubble because yeah you do get Really, you get a really skewed version of the world. But I, th- I think if you've, if you've been out there and, and doing it, it's the best education. Beats school and universities and colleges by a long shot. Um, but adventures can be can be anything. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's not a classic Shackleton type adventure. Um, in my mind, but you know, adventure can be if you've got an afternoon, just get just take yourself off and go for a walk somewhere that you haven't been before. Just just experience it. I think everyone, especially in the the age of social media and Instagram, etc., is so aspirational. They feel they've got to do something that's over and beyond has never been done before. But it's um it's only internally that you've got to kind of prove yourself. I think, and you, you know, as if if you go somewhere new, then that's brilliant. What a great experience!
1: That's exactly the philosophy of our podcast. We kind of just define adventure is you know anything that breaks your routine anything that just kind of gets you out there doing something new
2: yeah it makes you feel so much better as well when you get back Absolutely. E- e- even though before you go you get oh can i be bothered to do that time it's been brilliant Yeah, it's really good
1: well you've got speaking of adventure you've got a big expedition coming up can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so
2: four weeks today actually i head off to greenland and a week after that once I've a kind of acclimatised to this diet, which I'll tell you about afterwards, um, I start paddling from Karkortok right in the south on the west coast and I head 3,000 kilometres up the west coast northwards to Karnak, uh, which is the northernmost permanently inhabited place in the world. Uh, I was there a couple of years ago. I spent the last three summers in Greenland. But it's a solo kayak. Uh, I'll be wild camping. I'm aiming to cover 30 kilometres a day, which doesn't sound a lot, but if you factor in downtime for storms or bad weather, um, then... Yeah, I think 30k is kind of a manageable amount, and hopefully, yeah. By, by the time it gets to June 21st, Midsummer's Day, where I'll be in Greenland, it will be 24 hours a day sunlight. So, if if I've got some good days and it's it's nice, clear, clear sailing, I can push it a little further. I'll probably have to to make up some uh, to make up some time. The bit that is a little bit um, unsure of at the moment uh, is in in the north because of the sea ice. It breaks up at different times every year, and it's even more kind of um unpredictable because of climate change lately so um i've gone through the last few years um nasa satellite images and it could be okay by the time i get up to kind of Ilulissat, which is that two thirds of the way up but there's a possibility i might have to kind of wait it out until the sea ice is broken up and it, it, there's some bigger channels to get through so that's going to be the interesting bit i think well there's loads of interesting bits <laughs> polar bears icebergs all that kind of stuff but um that could make a big difference to the end date
1: So what's this about the diet? because I know there's an element of scientific research as well as culinary research. Yeah, yeah.
2: um, There's there's kind of two scientific projects. The first one is I'll be collecting intestinal samples of sea mammals as I go uh, on behalf of the British Antarctic Survey plus a couple of other um, scientific um, organizations. And that is to... I'll send these samples back to... I think it's going back to Cambridge at the moment here in the UK. And they'll be measuring microplastic uh, within the samples. When I say samples, I mean poo. So, yeah, seal, walrus polar bear if I can get hold of any and uh, yeah so it's purely from a kind of pollution aspect to measure uh, how much microplastic is in the coastal waters as they go and the, the samples from the poo of these animals are one of the best ways of taking it because they go from the surface down to the bottom and what they're eating is obviously stuff that lives in that area so it's, it's, it's a really good indication of, of, of the levels of pollution in that area. The main one for me as a chef uh, is the other project which I'll be only eating a uh, Inuit diet as I go, a traditional Inuit diet. So, for thousands of years, the Inuit uh, survived off just what was what's in their environment. So, fish, seal, reindeer, salmon, occasional seaweeds, seabirds, seabird eggs, that kind of thing. So, um, th- that's what kind of what got me interested in Greenland was the was the diet. It was incredible. They, these guys just eating 100% sea mammals or fish, and they and they survive off it. You know, in the in the West, we have become so. Used to, you know, relying on a fridge and safe methods and right, you know, temperature right. check in, and if it's a day past its sell by, throw it away. But yeah, you know, all, all that just goes totally out the window. there's it a complete one eighty out there, and it's it's that that's what kind of got me into. It, it was like, how the hell can these guys survive? Because as a chef in the West, I've been trained my whole career to, you know, if, if it's a day past its sell by, throw it away, or if it looks dodgy, throw it away. Yeah. Turns out that's pretty much wrong. You know, it's not the best thing for the planet if we, yeah, you know, we're chucking so much food away. So I'll be doing that, um, and I've linked up with an amazing bunch of microbiologists all around the world, from Stanford to North Carolina, Nuke, and over in uh, Cork in Ireland, and Tim Spector, Professor Tim Spector. Um, who does a lot of nutrition and diet stuff here in the UK, he is uh, doing a full run of tests on me two days before I leave, a DEXA scan, bloods, urine, stool samples, and then we'll be doing that again immediately on my return, and just to measure the difference between yeah, what's happened to me physiology-wise over the three-month paddling and on that diet. But also I'll be sending samples of my um, gut microbiome, again, poo, (laughs) back to these scientists. And they'll be measuring the the bacteria that's on the food that I'm eating and the bacteria that's in my gut microbiome and and how that's affected my mental well-being, my gut and my general health, especially in such a kind of an endurance situation. So I think it's going to be a pretty groundbreaking study, actually. um, There's going to be some really good information coming up. So that's, that's exciting stuff.
1: I think that's amazing. It's not just adventure for fun which there's definitely merit to yeah. that, but it's adventure for a greater purpose as well. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah,
2: thanks. Uh, yeah, because I'll be, I'll be by myself pretty much most of the time. Paddling for for long periods can get pretty boring and tedious. <laughs> right. So with the polar bear precautions that I've got to take, with the tent and stuff like that, it's going to take a good hour at least to set up and break down the tent and, and my camp each night. And uh, there will be a bit of downtime if I'm in a storm and there's two days of I, I just can't get out on the boat. Um yeah, I'm going to be bored. So um, yeah, just kind of filling it with yeah, a really detailed journal, taking samples, accessing and hunting for food. It's going to be um, a good time waster. <laughs> Great.
1: Well, what are these polar bear precautions that you mentioned? How do you actually protect your camp from polar bears? Um, from polar bears? I've got flares
2: and I've yeah. got a flare pistol and I'll have a rifle um, that will be strapped to the deck in a, in a dry bag as I go. Because I'm by myself, I can't obviously be on watch 24-7 because I've got to sleep at some point. So, um, which would normally happen in in polar bear country, but for this one, uh, there's a tripwire, a double tripwire that you can put on posts, um, set it up around the tent, and on each post is a double blank cartridge. So, if the tripwire is broken, it fires a, a double blank, so it'll go off immediately, and it fires thirty foot in the air and, and goes off again. So, that's kind of got two purposes. The first will hopefully be to scare the polar bear away. Right. I fear it's going to scare me even more when I'm in my tent and oh my God, oh, why, why, why? <laughs> and I, I'll have the rifle there and, and flares. And I, as soon as I hear that, I've just got to get out of the tent and make a big noise and, and hopefully scare, scare the, the, the beast away, which would be great. Right. The rifle's there for life or death situation. Sure. But hopefully, you know, if you make a lot of noise and you've got a flare and I can fire a flare towards it, not at it, then, yeah, I'm hoping that's gonna, that's, that's going to do the job. wow i'll let you know yeah definitely you know
1: definitely (laughs) well what inspired the expedition what got you interested in greenland
2: um i was pitching a book project about 10 years ago but it finally came to um to fruition three years ago and i I went out to denmark and then uh iceland and greenland following the, the the story of the norse as they they kind of migrated across the north atlantic from norway the further west they got the more extreme and more interesting the the pre- food preservation practices got because yeah you know, there were it's nothing like today obviously a thousand years ago they had no GPS they had to rely on their wits and what was in their environment and so you know the pharaohs they, they, they fermented lamb yeah you know, there's, there's hardly any trees on any of these places so you can't right. you can't evaporate seawater to create salt to preserve stuff which would have, would have been the, the kind of the rigueur one so they had to find a different way and it just turns out that leaving it in the environment can also do the trick. So the, you know, they've got fermented lamb in the Faroes. In, in Iceland, they've got fermented more extreme stuff, like um, fermented shark, the Greenland shark over there, which is which is uh, very high in ammonia. And, you, you, yeah, makes your eyes water almost. And then when you get to Greenland, so they've got a whole history of stuff over there. So they've, you know, the, the fermented seal fat, fermented seal, fermented cod, um, seabirds, seabird eggs. And then the most interesting one was Kiviak up in the far north they catch hundreds of these um, little auk seabirds uh, when they're migrating kind of april may time and they pack about 500 of them or so inside a seal sew the seal up press all the air out and bury it under rocks for six months and then they unearth it and um, bite the head off drink the liquefied insides and then the the, the meat on the breasts and, and the legs has almost gone like pate you can almost just yeah kind of slough it off with with, with your fingers and eat it it tastes Pretty much as extreme as it sounds, you know. But if you close your eyes, you'd think you are eating a super strong like Stilton or a you know Gorgonzola, a really strong wow. cheese, which is incredible. But because you know it's meat, I think that's where the kind of disparity comes. And you go, hang on, it shouldn't taste like this. But that's just right. what that, that's just from what we've been used to as as we've grown up. One of the team with the microbiome project actually is uh, an anthropologist from the University of Michigan and. He's done a lot of studies into the disgust reflex and and how people especially like polar explorers have had to adopt the inuit diet when they've had to overwinter 100 years ago or so and it's it's, it's like super interesting because the fermentation the, the extreme stuff is really loved by people who are used to it and and that's how he got into the whole disgust is a learned reflex it's not Inherent in our genes, or it's it's not part of our hardwired physiology. It's it's something that we we learn, which kind of makes sense because you know when you're a kid, you you, yeah you're so fussy and you hate all kinds of stuff, especially the strong stuff. Yeah, any strong cheeses or meats or anything like that, you you kind of steer away from. But as you get older, you kind of love that stuff. That the stuff that's really strong, like anchovies and stuff, is 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 great. And yeah, so that's that's where we're coming from. That it's going to be. yeah, it's, it's going to be super interesting. And because of the last three years, when I've, I've spent time in Greenland, kayaking and, and, and cooking, I've eaten a lot of it. And y- you do, you, you, yeah. Within actually, within the same day, if you've eaten enough of it, you, you just start to actually, this is all right. This is this is pretty good stuff. And and the other thing is is how nature kind of looks after you and. You know, vitamin C and scurvy is a big issue with um, extreme environments. You know, like the, the, the sailors in the 17th and 18th centuries used to die, die by the hundreds because they, they didn't have vitamin C. But it turns out that, you know, animal intestines, especially sea mammals uh, and fish, have high amounts of vitamin C. If you ferment seal fat, the process of uh, fermentation converts some of the nutrients into vitamin C. Seal um, eyeballs as well, a high in vitamin C. Um, really? Yeah, it's incredible how wow. it kind of nature kind of provides for you. It's um, yeah, yeah, really, really incredible. But that's whole that's the whole part of the fascination with kind of evolutionary anthropology um, and and how how indigenous peoples ended up in the countries and, and the areas that they've been in and how they survived.
1: Well, you briefly touched on some of the environmental issues. Yeah. What do you think are some of the most pressing environmental issues that are facing the Arctic region?
2: Um, well, it, mainly because it's in the Arctic, you've got that huge amount of um, uh, ice on the ice cap of Greenland. 80% of Greenland is ice cap, but it's retreating at a, hu- at a really fast rate, You know, faster than anywhere else in the world, and, and they c- continually have... Yeah, you know, higher temperatures, you know, record-breaking high temperatures yeah. in, in the summers, crazy amounts, much more than anywhere else. Um, so that is, that's a huge issue, you know, f- for the whole world. You know, it's going to affect everywhere because the low-lying regions are just going to get flooded over the next few decades. Because it's coming from the Arctic, obviously Greenland is, is, is the biggest one, and that's kind of the poster boy for climate change, really, at the moment. Um, but then you've got the whole population of like 57,000, I think it is, spread over a, a country that's, you know, bigger than Europe. Um, so it's, it's very remote and a lot of them are on sea-lying, you know, coastal areas. So the, the, the flooding is going to be a problem there as well. But then also part of the reason for climate change is obviously, you know, fossil fuels and, and the endless exploitation of the earth um, in, in, for mining, coal, precious metals and that kind of stuff. And ironically, with the retreating of the glaciers and the ice cap, it's exposing areas that are really rich in, in all these kind of, precious ores and metals, especially now as we're looking at smartphones and chips and that kind of stuff, which use yeah, the more rarer metals. Um, and so they're getting bombarded with, with these companies that have yeah you know, billions of dollars behind them to go mining. So Greenland is 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 particularly vulnerable to yeah exploitation by these mining companies. And luckily the government is is really, really strong and a, a really pro environment. But that's a lot of pressure to come under financially, so they've got to be protected. Um, I think, yeah, by the rest of the world to not capitulate and, and go for these huge, great, really lucrative mining concessions that will give them loads of money. But on the flip side, it's gonna it's gonna poison yeah, fjords and, and the sea, and, and just strip the landscape. So it's it's a real catch twenty two. But historically, you know, that they they, they um, turned down a uranium mine couple of years ago now in the south which is great because it would have flooded yeah. the runoff of chemical laden waters and, and waste going into the fjords it would have been disastrous for the for the ecosystems around there that's a really encouraging sign and there's a big decolonized movement because they've got home rule but they're kind of well they are kind of ruled by denmark right. so there's a big movement um to decolonize uh, but they have i think it's something around five billion euros each year they're subsidized by Denmark which if that was reduced or, or went, that's a huge amount of, um, of money to make up so yeah tourism or or, or mining companies and at some point the mining companies just gonna throw enough money at it so that needs to be looked at and obviously you've got the you know the different political powers You've got China Russia America plus other others all kind of putting pressure on to their companies come into this place so it's just going to raise awareness of this and, and get as much exposure and, and public pressure on there as, as much as we can i think
1: so for your expedition are uh, what are you most concerned about what are some of the biggest challenges that you're expecting to face
2: the one that's going to give you most anxiety will be the polar bear thing I think even though it's probably not realistically number one on the list it's just the just the thought of it and if I hear something in the night I'm go, like, oh my God, is that a polar bear so that's but I've done I've kind of done all the safety things I can on that. Um, other things will be finding a nice a, a safe area to launch launch from or land. so if I've been paddling for six hours I need to kind of plan possible stop routes. So, you know, there are areas where the the mountains just go straight into the sea and there won't be anywhere I can possibly land or or rest up on for maybe tens of kilometers. So I'm going to have to seriously plan that. Do
1: you do that via satellite? How do you know sort of where you're planning to land?
2: Yeah, I'm going um, on good old-fashioned maps um, as my daily kind of go-to. You can get pretty much... Good reliable information from that as well as tapping into local knowledge which is super important um yeah. but i'll have a really good gps system and map for the upcoming kind of two or three days i'll highlight areas where i can possibly stop so if, if the weather picks up and, the, and it's getting hard going or the tides against me then i'll, I'll have okay i have to go back to that one 5k back or perhaps i can push forward and, and, and hit that one in in 2k time but um, I don't really want to be caught out by that because that could be uh, a pretty horrible situation. Uh, you've got icebergs. Uh, unbelievable. They're, they're, they're everywhere off the coast of Greenland. But then if, if you've been kayaking near to one that's flipped over or is carved, it's absolutely terrifying. The, the noise is just, it, it, you can feel it all through you and it's, it's a scary thing. So I've got a good healthy regard for icebergs, but also you have the tsunami as well. If there's a big iceberg or a big carving off a glacier, it's going to create a, a tsunami. So if, if you're sometimes within 100 metres of it, it, it can cause a tsunami that's also peppered with ice chunks it's like metal that can damage the kayak and damage me so yeah that's that, that that's one but but that, that's a very visible thing you you can do things to mitigate that and then you've also got uh whales what potential whale breaches very very rare but it can happen you know if you're in a motorboat or something it's making a noise then or something bigger then the whales are, are switched on enough to avoid them most of the time yeah but if you're in a fairly silent kayak, what you don't want to do is have a Leviathan oh. jump out on, the, on, on your on starboard side and then crash on you because right. there's oh not gosh. much you can there's not much you can do about that apart from flip over yeah. and just hope. But and, and yeah, yeah, I've got all the appropriate gear. I've got dry suits, um, one piece and two piece with all the all, all the neoprene cuffs and, and collars. Um, I've got um, a really good uh, techie setup as well. I've got a sat phone. I've got yeah this GPS. I've got uh, an, an in-reach radio system, so I've, I've kind of ticked all the boxes on that as well. so uh, I've, I've done as much as I can.
1: So gear-wise, what about your cooking gear? What are you bringing along with you in that regard?
2: Yeah, because of the diet, it's uh, what plus side of that is that I won't have to a huge amount of space for like ration packs or dried food or anything like yeah. that. So um, a lot of the food will be dried. It lasts forever, so I, I can pick up a good couple of kilo of dried seal or dried amasat, which is a um, little capelin fish, and they're dried intact, so they've got guts and everything in them um, and bones. So that's pretty much a one stop shop for being able to survive on. So it's got everything you need, so I'll have a good amount of that. I'll be fishing as I go. Yeah, last year when I was staying kind of two hours north of Nook, the capital, I went out every day in a kayak and, and didn't come back with less than three cod. It was, it was amazing. You just put the hook wow. in and you catch a card. Obviously, it won't be that great the whole way along, but I'll, I'll go catch a couple of cards, which will see me through a day or two. So, the, and, and there's settlements all the way up, so I, I I'm, I'm I better buy Seal or anything else off any hunters as, as I go. Built up quite a good network in Greenland over the last three years, so I've got a lot of contacts who are kind of expecting this this Englishman at some point who might, right. be, who might be wanting to buy some food so yeah that's good and i don't speak greenlandic but i've been learning danish for the last three or four months so i've got a good basic grasp of that but i'll have a kind of a, a sheet with all the basic word, basic phrases Great. of survival in in, in greenlandic like the, the conditions for kayaking like safe place to land tide races but food as well as is, is, is going to be critical right. so yeah and, and it's cold enough that i can keep fresh food on on the boat it'll be about the water temperatures can be about one or two degrees and um, C oh, wow. so I'll keep food in there and it's like like yeah like my natural fridge anyway yeah so I'm, I'm hoping I'll be okay on that as well and cooking wise I've just got a um, just a it's it's called a prospectors pan it's just a just a I think it's eight or ten inch wide I've got a Cala gas type um you know gas thing in case I need it there's hardly any wood out there so I can't rely on building a campfire so that's why I've got that um, and uh, but i'll pick up driftwood as i go and and shave it off start a fire that way if if i can if it's been raining for ages it won't work so i'll have to go back to the gas but then a lot of it is is kind of fermented and you can eat raw anyway so um it's going to be interesting i'll I'll, I'll be sick of cod i reckon by the time i finished (laughs) i'm sure
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it sounds really physically intense as well how do you prepare physically for an expedition like this
2: yeah i've been uh doing a lot of gym work um you know like the arm bike where you, 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 I just get on that for an hour pretty much every day and just do just do that i've been in the gym i've been doing a lot of kind of a lot of cardio stuff a lot of um low weight high repetition arm arm and torso stuff, so yeah that, I think that's as much as you can i've got a kayak here on the coast as well that I've been out in quite a bit over the winter and stuff it's not it's, it hasn't been ideal and the, if, if it's too if, if the weather's too rough out here I won't go out in that um, But the gym work has been been pretty good And obviously I'm going to be building up Because of the um, I, th- I think we'll have Eight or nine hours of sunlight By the time I get there But when I start So I won't be able to do huge amounts To start with anyway So that'll be a gradual build up As well on that So um, yeah I've, 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 been, I've been doing some good A lot of gym work for the last six, six months or so. So I've, 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 I've built up quite a lot on that. So yeah, I don't know what yeah. I will look like at the end of three months of doing it, but, um, I suspect i yeah, I'm hoping I'll be really buff.
1: Yeah, Well, I'm sure you'll get in great shape <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <hope> so. <laughs> in your daily life. I know that you try to live more sustainably as well. Yeah. And I know, uh, you and I have talked a bit about your homestead. Tell us a bit about that. How do you try to have that sustainable living in your just regular life as well?
2: Yeah, we've got uh, about acre and a half here, and my partner grows loads of veg, um, loads of heirloom stuff, um, yeah, stuff that's that yeah, hasn't been as economically productive, so it's kind of fallen by the wayside commercially, and you don't often see. Um, but it's, it's it's making a big resurgence now because people are going back to these traditional things that our humans have survived on for you know, hundreds, thousands of years. Um, we've got chickens. So, we, yeah, we've got chickens, duck, geese, turkeys. So we, we get a lot of eggs. And I've I've started to up my meat intake quite a lot. So mostly wild game or organic but it's from, from rounds, the area that, where we are. So, yeah, I, the, the, the thing I'm really kind of anti against, yeah, the, the whole global food system is, is so reliant and a, and a big driver of climate change at the moment that we need to be, and it's, it's, most of it is totally unnecessary. We don't need to be importing You know avocados from mexico or apples from from new zealand um and that's one of the things that kind of is highlighted in greenland every little settlement has got a a small shop again subsidized by denmark that you can go in and buy frozen pizzas or or salamis or cheeses um and and fresh fruit sometimes you can get kiwi fruit and bananas and stuff in, in in these in these places which again they don't grow in england um so it's, it's just as wrong to kind of, kind of to, to buy it from here but in Greenland when you look out the window and it's just it's just icebergs and there's there's clearly no farming or agriculture going on it's it, the difference is even more stark when you've got an avocado in your hand and you start it just really make, makes you aware that that avocado has come on a boat back to Newark from Copenhagen and it's probably come from a European hub from Mexico City or South Africa or somewhere and you're, right. wow what was that? How did these people survive before we had the transport system? And the answer is, they yeah. just ate what what was available. And it was, in fact, it was probably better than ha- having all these kind of monocrop culture foods that are transported all around the world. Yeah, you know, relying on oil and gas, um, you know, fertilizer, and antibiotics, and everything in the, into the water table, microplastics everywhere. It's, it's, you've just got to get away from this whole processed processed food culture that we have, and, and look around the environment that you're living in. And okay, what what would I have been eating a thousand years ago? And that's how we've evolved as, as a human race. And we evolve so slowly that it takes thousands of years for any kind of changes to, to happen of ad- adaptation to, you know, uh, external influences. So it's it's no wonder that you know, we, we were ticking along just fine for hundreds of thousands of years, and then in the last, say, five hundred or three hundred years, when since the Industrial Revolution, and we've been importing stuff, pumping chemicals into the earth, and suddenly we've got all these all these diseases that were, were unheard of hundreds of years ago. Um, and, and we've got allergies, intolerances, diseases everywhere, obesity. Our immune systems are shot. Um, it's it's crazy, and 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 you, you can track it all back to kind of the capitalist kind of ethos behind b- behind modern society and there, yeah there are some good things to come out of that um you know the hospital and the healthcare side of the trauma and that kind of thing has is, is, is been fantastic but a lot of it is is just pointing the finger at shareholders and constant growth that companies need to have to satisfy shareholders it's um right and 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 and, and that's what's driving you know processed foods is the, the need to you know decrease costs increase sales and, and get it out there and it's it's just so wrong and it's it's one of those things that has been kind of hidden um, amongst you know general life but it, if you just think about it and think about oh yeah we've evolved with these foods for hundreds of thousands of years and suddenly with pumping chemicals and, and all kinds of rubbish and it's really you know low in nutrients of course it's gonna have an effect of course it's gonna yeah. have a knock-on effect right like it's um, it's Crazy, and it's, it's sometimes it's really banging your head against a brick wall. and think, oh my god, what, what? But it is really easy to do as well. It's really easy to go out to shop and buy a frozen pizza rather than yeah. go out and shoot a rabbit or grow your own vegetables. Right. So, it's, it's I think it's just something that's that, that, that that's got to be people have got to be made aware of more, and so they can make their own choices on it.
1: Well, then for someone like me, or probably our listeners who love travel and want to be adventurers, how can we balance? The desire to experience different cultures and cuisines, with the need to be mindful of that environmental impact.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, th- I think yeah, you know, air travel is obviously a big one as well. So mm-hmm. you know, I don't think there's an answer to it at the moment. Yeah, yeah. traveling is 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 important, and migration and stuff is what people have been yeah. That's Part of the human psyche is is, is is traveling, and it would be great if we didn't have to rely on on money, so we could we could make our way to Greenland or the, these exotic places over the course of a few months or in a sailboat, or so. It would be fantastic, but modern life makes it pretty much impossible to happen. So I think you just got to be super aware of it, and if you can mitigate it, and I know you can, you can buy offset. You know you can carb- offset your carbon load and all this kind of stuff but yeah if you dig beneath the surface on that it, it takes decades for it for any kind of sequestering to happen if you do a plant a tree scheme or anything like that so it is difficult and it is something that i struggle with like flying to greenland sure. but then if you're doing something good when you're there like raising raising awareness or i'll be kayaking so i'm not relying on any diesel or fossil fuels once i'm there and hopefully if i can get a message out there and 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 Assist in that way, then that's great. That 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 might be just justifying it to myself, though. You know, it it, it probably is just better to stay in in your own home home country and then have a look at what your air travel is contributing to it. And again, and, and it may be me justifying it, but if you weigh that up against these companies pumping out yeah. millions of times more than what I, I'll be taking up on the plane then that's th- that's another way I justify it but it is difficult and um, flying to these th- these areas and I, I don't think there's a there's a clear answer for it as well because if you're bringing that message to to people and you can make a slight difference to 10 people then that again that that'll make a, a, a bigger difference than than your well, plane I, flight as well
1: well I think so many people just don't think about it you know and I think just acknowledging it and being aware is just a huge step anyway
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's, it's just one of those things that you've it's got to be ingrained in you and, and it's, be, it's become that way over here in England you know recycling and stuff 15 20 years ago didn't happen but people are, are yeah. yeah you expect it now it's just one of those things but it does take a long time to kind of sink into the psyche and but I think it's accelerating now with people are getting increasingly aware of corrupt governments and just helping out governments given huge great grants and contracts to to their mates yeah, you know, big business. It, I think people are a lot more aware now that it's just about the bottom line yeah. to these guys.
1: I think
2: and, so too. And, 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 and there are huge movements. Yeah, r- really good. So I, th- I, th- I think it's coming, but we'll see if it's in time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, I certainly hope so. Yeah. On that note, have you always been environmentally conscious or was there sort of an event that triggered it? Where did this sort of mindfulness in you come from?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's come from, I have had it a, a, a long time, yeah. And I think it's come from chefing Ooh. and being aware of the waste and then you question everything. You know, you, you, yeah. you question why why these rules are there. What, what, don't, don't just blindly accept it, which you do as a kid. You just believe in the authority of government. But as right. you get older, you, th- you think, these guys, they're, they're now younger than me. They clearly don't know what they're doing. They're just making up as, as they go along, like most of us. Right. But they've never acknowledged that. They're, it's always that you have this kind of omnipresent authority figure that you 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 always relied on when you're a kid and you think oh yeah it yeah it will never be bad because they'll sort you out and it'll be they'll look after us and it'll be okay but i think increasingly that's that's shown not to be the case at all so i think i I think i've always questioned why things need to be done not in a belligerent pain in the backside way but just Okay well, so what happens if you eat that bread that's just got a little bit of mold on or or, or a big thing for me actually was was um, the process of making salami and cured meats here in the UK. I wanted to make salami and the environmental health you know, according to their regulations and paperwork it couldn't, it couldn't be done and they said right you can't keep it out of temperature you can't keep it out 10 or 11 degrees for any amount of time because that's that's not how it's done what? you've got parma ham That's these, made, right? you've got all these <laughs> amazing cured meats in, in, on the continent in europe so, so how have they done it so how is that a thing over there and no one's dying by the millions you know eating that don't care it's just can't be done you've got to keep it in the fridge and and so that got me down, down the whole kind of rabbit um, hole of looking at fridges and why why fridges be used and then you, you just scratch beneath the surface and and fridges have only you know, in the last, it's only really in the last two generations. You know, that like in, in, I think in 1963 in England, only 5% of domestic households had a fridge. So I was like, wow, that's, 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 you can always touch that. I mean, it wasn't long after I was born. And it's, um, it's, it's crazy it's absolutely yeah. crazy So, what were we doing before then we, we were fermenting we were preserving stuff we had much more community uh, we were much more community-minded so instead of getting everything into that one household we relied on say 10 households and we had a community pig but down the road grew potatoes and we grew beetroot so we swapped occasionally and they bartered right. and it's, it's something we need to get back into because the way we've done it for hundreds of thousands of years is what's good for us it, you know evolutionary and and, and for, for our physiology so constantly question stuff which I think is, is happening a lot more now with with, with what's going on in the news yeah. and it's, it can only be a healthy thing and then get back to that community thing and if you can set up 10 people or 10 households and say, okay, we've all got small gardens but you grow potatoes, you grow tomatoes and we'll, jo- we'll just barter it. Or like we us it. here, we're, we're going to get a couple of pigs and we'll, we'll get a scheme here and everyone will put chip in 10 or 20 pounds or whatever and when we come to slaughter the pig, we'll, we'll chop it up and everyone gets a tenth of the pig. Um, yeah which is which is which is great and you know it's been fed organically um it's it's had a really really good life hasn't been packed up into you know crates in a factory farm and had a really rubbish life and effectively tortured until it until it dies right um yeah just and and just ask questions always look into the the provenance of your food where it's come from how it's produced and just don't just because it says you know honeysuckle farm on the label it doesn't mean it comes from this idyllic beautiful right. pastoral picture it probably means it's just a, a marketing tool by the supermarket or whoever, and it's been produced by the millions fed full of antibiotics and rubbish had a rubbish life and it's actually not that great for you so yeah
1: no, <laughs> a-, <laughs> a good guideline for life anyway just question things you know don't accept things blindly Yeah, yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah. for sure
1: I like that well so Mike are you going to be documenting your adventure and where can people find that
2: Right, um, on mikekeen.co, that's my website, I'll have a um, a live tracker, one of my devices will have a live tracker, and there'll be a map on the website so you can track where I am going up the coast. I've got a whole bunch of kind of GoPros and a drone, and I'll be taking loads of footage as I go, so there's normally pretty good reception nearly all the way up the coast as well. I've got a Greenlandic phone, so I'll be posting on Instagram, which is mikekeencooks. I'll be on, I'll, I'll, and that automatically goes to my Facebook, which again is if. But Mike Keen cooks, that'll be find it on there. Quite an interesting development is I've got a Norwegian filmmaker who will be turning it into a documentary, which is really exciting. Wow. And so we've got a Greenlandic videographer who's going to be hopping on a boat and kind of following me for half a day at once every ten or twelve days, um, and they'll be using my footage from the drone and the GoPros. Right? How cool. And, and doing that. So yeah, so watch this space. Everything I do will be on the website anyway, so you, you'll better find out about that. But hopefully, yeah, the documentary will be touted around film festivals um, in the new year. Um, so fingers crossed for that one, because that would be great.
1: That's excellent. I'm excited for that. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes, of course. So anyone listening to this episode will be able to click on those and go right over and check it out. Yeah, but I'm super excited to see it and to see your pictures and your videos and
2: yeah, well, I'd love to come back on if you have me oh, yeah, afterwards and, and let you know what Once happens. have
1: a recap. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: If I don't get yep. eaten by a bear. <laughs> it's a
1: plan. <laughs> it's a plan. I would love to hear all about it.
2: Brilliant stuff. Well, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much, Mike. I'm glad we finally got the chance to do this. Yeah, great. We had a bit of a, some troubles before, but I'm glad we finally made it work. It was a blast. Me too. Absolutely. You will be back on. I would love to hear the recap Brilliant. when you're done. I'll be there. All right. Thank you so much. You take care, sir. All right. I'm going to be very excited to follow him on his journey, and uh, I've already told him after he gets back, I'd love to have him back on to kind of talk about how things went, talk oh, about yeah, the definitely. adventures that he had there. Did he run into a polar bear or a whale? I certainly hope not. A polar <laughs> whale? Up? Ooh, yes. A whale bear? <laughs>
0: a wooler bear? <laughs>
1: Humpback <laughs> bear. <laughs> uh,
0: it just sounds gross. I don't know what that is, and I don't like it. But yeah, awesome. Just just an awesome dude. Ladies and gentlemen, please go check out Mike Keen. Give him all your support. He's a really awesome guy, and just what he's doing and what he stands for is just, just great. Just awesome.
1: Yep, links in the show notes to all of that.
0: Yes, to everything. All right, and now... You ready to move on to our favorite segment, which is Adventures in the News? Yes, sir. This I wouldn't necessarily call this an adventure, but Adventures in the News often is just funny news. True. <laughs> Michael, you know what I say when I say the Texas stop sign. Do you know what I'm referring to?
1: Actually, I, I, I don't know if I... You don't? Do. I mean, I don't drive very it's often, to be it's honest. Dairy Queen.
0: Oh, the Stop okay. sign. Dairy gotcha. Queen. Now this this is a story that involves Dairy Queen, and if you get a blizzard at Dairy Queen,
1: they turn it upside down.
0: It comes with a big red spoon.
1: Ah, okay. Now I see where the, I see yep. where this is going. Okay.
0: An d- Arizona Dairy Queen had its big red spoon that was on the outside of the restaurant stolen.
1: How how? <laughs> um, is that not part of like the sign? Is it not like
0: it is part of the sign?
1: Right. So it's built into the yep. side of and the And somebody.
0: Thing stole it. Huh. This is not a little spoon.
1: It's like stealing the golden arches.
0: Yeah, it'd be like stealing the McDonald's golden arches. And so it was found around seven AM, two miles away from the scene of the heist. They're calling it a heist.
1: <laughs> it didn't get very far. That's how do they get it and why did they just dump it?
0: I would keep it. I mean If you're gonna go through all that trouble, keep yeah, it Yeah really. Like you could just put it in your living room.
1: That is so funny, yeah.
0: Say you had a few too many Right, you know, adult beverages.
1: That's the only thing that makes sense in this scenario.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Say you had a few too many adult beverages, you don't really know what you're doing, and you wake up and you have the Dairy Queen giant spoon. Mm. You panic. Yes, but j- don't you just keep it?
1: <laughs> it's it's kind of like it's kind of you know when there's like art heists mm-hmm. and these famous paintings like uh the Scream which has gone missing. Once you have it, though. You don't dare display it. What's the point, right? You have it, but you can't have it like, you can't display, yeah. it. you can't have it showing, you have to have it in some secret room in your mansion, right? For like, people that have your those... own
0: private view. Right,
1: so do you have to build like a special secret like room for this where only like your trusted friends that come over for a billionaire party get to look at it? Like you pull down the book on the bookshelf and the bookshelf swings back and it's a secret room with the big spoon inside of it. <laughs> The
0: big spoon and the scream. I would I mean, you get both. It's really just someone... He's got all the famous paintings he wants, and now he's just off, like... He has the McDonald. He has, like, the golden arches. And Do you remember
1: like, when that golden toilet was stolen a couple years ago? Yes. It's like that, and that's in there, too. <laughs> just all the dumb stuff people have stolen. Like that shark I mean, like, that somebody...
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah, someone stole a, stole a shark. But, you know, I'm thinking about the spoon. I would... Like, if I woke up and it was, like, in my living room... Right. I mean... What do you, you don't go turn yourself in at that point. It's not a big enough deal to feel guilty about, I would say.
1: Maybe a little guilty.
0: Like a little bit, but more like a what was I doing kind of thing. than a Be
1: more confused than anything, I, th- I think.
0: Yeah, I feel like you're going to get in a lot more trouble if you like went back and were like, hey. I stole your spoon. I stole your spoon, <laughs> I'm sorry. Then, then you're going to get like charges. But if you just keep the spoon, you have a secret.
1: It's like the frat house's... With the road signs, you know.
0: Oh yeah. Or if you grew up in Texas, did you ever have a Whataburger? They have the little wood table numbers.
1: I know what you are talking about. I don't own. Oh, I don't possess one. I do not have one. No, but I, I do know what you mean. The table like number where they bring you your order. Yes, I do have a no smoking sign from a hotel that uh, I didn't mean to steal. It just somehow ended up in my luggage, and I was unpacking after this trip, and I was like, huh. no smoking sign. It's a little metal, like a little stainless steel.
0: You know what I do? I do have, um, Chili's used to bring you their skillet queso in an actual hot skillet. Right. And it had a little handle cover with little chili peppers on it. I have one of those. I don't know how I got it.
1: Come to think of it, I think my roommates and I did one time have a heist where we each Procured a set of silverware from the dining hall. I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations <laughs> is over now. Um, what, hang <laughs> on, what is statute statute of limitations for stealing silverware? Which actually is um, oh, okay. It's fine. Now you're good. If the property is below $950, you may only have one year to file a misdemeanor charge. If it's more serious cases, four year statute of life. to out of college for over ten years. It's fine. Um, oh,
0: you are good. You can you can finally clear your conscience.
1: And I took a spoon and a fork. We all did. And we made a blood pact, never to speak of it. But uh, the statute of Limitations is over, and it's... uh...
0: (laughs) They can only try you in civil court now. You're going to get a letter from Baylor.
1: I have more than given them the price of a spoon, so... (laughs) I think we're even. It wasn't even a Baylor spoon. We just... We just needed them.
0: (laughs) You just needed silverware. (laughs) I did have a friend... That would go, you know, they have the milk dispenser. Yes. She had a gallon jug that she bought one time and just would refill the gallon jug with milk. She eventually downsized to a half gallon because you don't know how long the milk's going to last.
1: And you know, the thing is, in college, no one's going to question that. Everyone's like, yeah, why not?
0: <laughs> Everyone looks at you like, it's a good idea. I should do that. But anyway, that's of interest in the news. Well, that's funny.
1: You're right. Okay, Texas stop sign. I, I, am, I do understand what you mean by that. Um, it is the only time I go to Dairy Queen.
0: And I like Dairy Queen.
1: I do too, but have you ever just been at home and be like, I want Dairy Queen? No, it's only when you're driving somewhere on a road trip. And they're all exactly the same on the inside.
0: Oh yeah, and the thing is, now they have the DQ grill and chill, and they're not as good. They're all fancy and like clean.
1: Dairy Queen shouldn't be clean.
0: No, it should be, everything should be sticky. A little bit sticky, yeah. Like, the tables all have to be either sticky or wet. And the floor has to 100% be kind of sticky. Yeah, your shoes have to go like... And it's either it's either run by very, very friendly, like elderly people or really like over it like fifteen year olds. Yeah, there's no in-between. <laughs> True. The food and everything else is the exact same, no matter what.
1: You know, it's hilarious. There's Dairy Queen in Bangkok at all the malls. I'm like this is not right. Dairy Queen shouldn't be at a shopping mall. It needs to be on some little like abandoned road where it's the only place to stop for like fifty miles.
0: So Vinny, you out there? I've never had Dairy Queen seek one out.
1: You will not be disappointed.
0: You will not. Or maybe you will, but I don't really care. <laughs> you'll be disappointed
1: like if it. you dine in. If you just get a blizzard to go, you'll be you'll be happy. It,
0: you will be disappointed if you expect anything other than <laughs> kind of sticky. Everything's <laughs> <laughs> It's like um Dairy Queen is to McDonald's what Waffle House is to like Denny's, <laughs> IHOP. <laughs> It's better, but also worse.
1: Do you think? Yeah. Well, okay. I was gonna say, do you really think Waffle House is better than IHOP? I do. Do you really? I do. The only reason I'm not on the IHOP train really is about that one time that they refused to give us our free meal after the Rangers. That was one. Denny's. Oh, that Are you sure? I, I it, was it was Denny's IHOP. Grand
0: Slam because we 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 went to a Rangers game. We went to Denny's afterwards, and he would not give us our two free Grand Slams because we were in the sitting at the same table.
1: And we're like we're paying separately. He didn't even believe us at the beginning that the Rangers had won. I'm like, that is easily verifiable, sir.
0: But anyway, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Michael and I chat. Hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you also enjoyed the great interview with Mike Keen. Make sure you go check out all of his stuff. We'll have links in the show notes to all his information, all his socials, everything. If you want more Attempt Adventure content, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast at Attempt Adventure. You can find us on Instagram, also at Attempt Adventure, and you can find us in two different places on YouTube. Michael, you want to tell it real quick, just so I make sure I get it right?
1: Yeah, if you just want to listen to the episodes, you can go to Attempt Adventure Podcast. If you want to see our videos, games, and bonus content, you can go to at attemptadventure. And you can find us there where we do things like play Geogisser or geotastic, a city gisser, and do our little bonus videos like last week when we did our photo walk, micro adventure here in Waco. Yeah. You can check us out on Twitter at @attemptpod. I I don't get or care for Twitter. So Do it you if you want. <laughs> but Instagram, we're doing a lot better with Instagram yes. and YouTube and Facebook of course. Yes. Attempt adventure. Chase us out
0: anywhere any of those and you will not be disappointed. Also, make sure to visit our website, Mm www.attemptadventure.com, where you can find blog posts, pictures, show notes, links to all the previous episodes, and a handy little contact us button so you can send us listener mail, suggestions, anything you want. Alternatively to that, you can also email us directly, hello at attemptadventure.com, and it comes right to us. Both of us. Yeah, we both get it. (laughs) We both read it. We do. If, you, if you're feeling generous, please go and leave a review on the podcast. It helps us grow. It helps us just reach more people. A five-star one if you're feeling, you know, just generous. But we value honesty over platitudes. Yeah, it's been, it's been another great episode talking to you all. Michael, you got anything else to add? I do not. All right. Well, again, everybody, it's been great talking to you. And until next time, keep adventuring.